Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. There are some families that when you look at their family portraits, and this is the time of year where you start seeing their families with their matching shirts and pants and sweaters and outfits and things like that. It's the time of year where you start seeing a lot of family pictures, family photos on Christmas cards and such as that. And some families have a resemblance that is actually extraordinary and just remarkable. Maybe it's the same color hair or certain facial features and such that there's just a strong family resemblance. I didn't think that my family growing up had much of a a family resemblance until I was watching myself on video one time and I saw myself say some things, heard myself say some things and have some facial expressions. And I go, dang on it, that looks just like my brother Todd, even though he's a lot better looking and things like that. But, But there was a resemblance. I remember when my kids were little, I was correcting them one time and I walked down the hall and I was looking for my dad because I swore I could hear him talking just a minute ago. Have you had that kind of experience? You heard your parents out of your voice? Yes, I did. Um, there are times too where you can look at my kids and they look like me or they look like their mother and or they look like each other. There's a family resemblance. You look like your parents and your siblings. In the family of God, there's a family resemblance. There are defining characteristics that identify somebody is truly belonging to God's family. And there's one dominant family characteristic. And it's this, they're alive. They're spiritually alive. They have the gift of eternal life. And the thing that's interesting is the Bible, when it talks about somebody becoming a member of God's family, they express it this way, the writers of scripture do, they express it as they've been born again, born from above, born from God, born a second time, born all over again. There's been a change in their lives because God's life has come into them. Now, we've been looking at this idea of God's family and coming home the last several weeks. And it's not just because we're getting near Thanksgiving and Christmas season, but because it's important to understand, do you really belong to God's family or not? Are you really one of his children or not? I did not ask, do you go to church? Or do you belong to a religious group? I didn't ask that because that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a member of God's family or that you've been born again, just because you're religious or just because you you worship at a church service. We're talking about something that's organic, something that's supernatural, something that's life-changing that happens in a person's life. Not religion, but a relationship that begins with God when you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that when we believe in him and receive him as our savior into our lives, we are born again and we become members of the family of God. Last week, we were looking at this idea of being part of God's family, and we talked about the home that one day we're going to. We looked at the future aspect of this concept in Scripture that's called eternal life. 
We talked about the destiny of the children of God and where they're going and what is that home like and the future element of eternal life. I mean, it's eternal, so it's gonna last forever, but it's life in the presence of God. And it's this home in heaven that Jesus is building and preparing for us. It's in the old King James, it's described as a house with many mansions, but it's the idea of an ever growing, ever expanding home with God in paradise for all eternity. The new heavens and the new earth and the new city, new Jerusalem, the joy of, of having uh, abundant life with him forever. But we mentioned last week and this concept of the fact that eternal life is not just something in the future, but it's a quality of life that we can experience now. Eternal life begins not at death, but it begins the moment we trust in Christ. We start becoming eternally alive from that moment when I pray and I receive Christ into my life and God's spirit enters into my life or into your life. At that moment, we begin eternal life. We begin experiencing it. And what is that life like? We've used the little phrase, it's life without regrets. It's life that really satisfies. It's, it's the abundant life. That's what Jesus calls it, the life that's overflowing and, and just so transforming and satisfying. But it's important for us to grasp that this eternal life is something that you and I can experience in our own lives as well. I read recently about a billionaire, a young man, a Swedish gentleman by the name of Marcus Passion, who he is the developer, the software developer of the game Minecraft. Some of you played that, okay? He sold Minecraft, he and his partners, software partners, to Microsoft for billions of dollars. And overnight he became, you know, a billionaire. And, you know, nothing against billionaires, but he just wrote about the fact that he hated being a billionaire. I actually find that very hard to believe and understand and wrapping my mind around, maybe you do too. But he said, I actually, I struggle with that. And he, he pointed it out this way in a series of, of tweets. And, and by the way, you know, when you're a billionaire, you can buy a $70 million home, just drop the money on the table and there it is. And you can do that. And he did that in Beverly Hills. He actually uh, outbid Beyonce and Jay-Z for a, a house, a mansion, $70 million mansion in Beverly Hills. It's actually, it's not a mansion, pardon me, it's a mega mansion. I didn't know that there was a housing category called that. But uh, Marcus Passion, he, he tweeted this and this was in August of 2015. He wrote this in a series of tweets. This is at 4.48 a.m. 4.48 a.m., he tweets this. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying and human interaction becomes impossible due to imbalance. Kind of sounds like a nerd writing that. And then it, two minutes later, he typed this out, tweeted this. Hanging out in Ibiza, island paradise in the middle of the Mediterranean off the coast of Spain. Hanging out in Ibiza with a bunch of friends and partying with famous people, able to do whatever I want, and I've never felt more isolated. Two minutes later, 4.52 a.m., when we sold the company, the biggest effort went into making sure the employees got taken care of, and they all hate me now. A minute later, 4.53, found a great girl, but she's afraid of me and my lifestyle and went with a normal person instead. 
Now, this is a guy who has all the money he could possibly have, but he's understanding that money doesn't buy you friends, and money won't get rid of your isolation, and money doesn't give you purpose and meaning in life. The only way you can find that kind of stuff, the, the connection and intimacy and purpose that we're longing for is to experience the eternal life that Jesus Christ offers to us. I've come that they might have life, Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, that it would be overflowing and fully satisfying in every way. There's a passage of scripture that I want to share with you today that points out some of the, some of the key ideas about what this being born again kind of life is all about, this eternal life, what it is and how do we get it. And I'd like to share it with you today. And it's in the, the letter of 1 John chapter 5. Now this is on page 1023, 1023. And it's 1 John chapter 5. And I want to read the first 12 verses of this this chapter, it's there in the right-hand column of the page if you're using one of the Bibles from the chair in front of you. 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says in verse 1, John writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. Would you read verses 11 and 12 with me, please? And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life, and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. This is God's word. Now in this passage, John, as he's been doing throughout this entire letter, is trying to encourage the Christians that he's writing to about 60 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, these earliest followers of Jesus. He's trying to remind them of what is this eternal life like that they now possess. And what difference does it make in their lives? And he points out that if you really have this eternal life, it'll bring about three big changes in you. It'll bring about a, a willingness and a desire and the ability to love other Christians. 
It'll give you a desire and the ability to obey God and keep his commands. And it will give you the desire and the ability to believe the truth about what God says regarding his son, that Jesus Christ is God who took on human flesh and lived among us and died among us and rose from the dead among us, that he's God and man together, not just spirit and not just man and not just God, but God and man together in, in human flesh. And John says, if you have that orthodox view and if you have this orthodox practice and if you have this kind of organic love that truly binds you to other believers, then those are signs that you've been born again. I don't want to focus on that behavioral evidence of salvation as much as I want to focus on what are the qualities of this eternal life today. And that's what we see unfolding in this passage as well here in John chapter 5, verse 1 down through verse 12. In these verses, John points out to us this. And you see this not only here in 1 John, but in the Gospel of John, in the book of Revelation, everywhere where John has written in the New Testament, and not only where John has written, but in the writings of the Apostle Paul as well. You could say it this way, is that the eternal life that you and I experience today is the life of the age to come here and now. We talked about living in heaven in the presence of God. We talked about living in that paradise, that, uh, that, that, that home that Christ is building for us in God's presence and, and living and working and sharing life with him forever. That life, we can experience that on earth. Now, not in heaven, but here on earth. The life of the age to come here and now. And it unfolds in our daily experience three big ways. The first way is this. This eternal life in the here and now that we experience, the first quality of this life is this. This eternal life is a shared life. It is a shared life. And by that, I want you to notice what it says in verses 11, 12, where, 11 and 12 where we read together. Do you remember what it said there? God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. So if you want eternal life, you have to have his son, Jesus. You have to trust in him and rely on him. That's what he's been talking about. In verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And he knows God in that way. And it says in verse 4 that the, the thing that gives us victory over this world is our faith. And, and who is the one who overcomes the world except the one who believes in the Son of God? And so there's this, this idea that's repeated over and over throughout this letter that John has written, and even in this, this little paragraph that we've read, is that we've got to believe in Christ. We've got to trust and rely on him, depend on him and him alone. And if we do, we experience eternal life because whoever has the Son has life because the life is found in the Son. And so notice what verse 12, whoever has the Son, whoever has Jesus has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's important for you and I to grasp. The only way that we experience eternal life is by having Christ. That's because eternal life is a shared life. It's his life. And it becomes ours when we have him. Paul, the apostle, in his letters, he describes it this way. To have this eternal life, you have to be in Christ. You have to be in Christ, in him, in the Lord Jesus, 
And he says that about 150 plus times throughout his letters in the New Testament. It's a reminder that to have eternal life, it's not signing a contract. It's not going forward or raising your hand or praying a prayer. It's entering into a relationship with the God who has eternal life. One of the qualities of our God is that he lives forever. He's self-sufficient, self-sustaining. He's the one that's always existed. This universe, as old as it may be, is actually extremely young compared to him because he's always been, he's always existed. And eternal life is sharing the life of God. So when we trust in Christ, Jesus comes into our life, we enter into him, he is ours, we are his, and we share his life. That's the joy and beauty of it. We get to share his life. And not only do we share this life with him, but we share this life with each other. In other words, individually or personally, let's put it that way, personally, I need to trust in Christ. That's why last week when we talked about uh, dedicating our children to the Lord, the, the infants and toddlers to the Lord that we did. We said that we can't believe for them. We can't make a decision for them to begin following Christ or trust Christ. They, they need to do that on their own later on as they get older and begin to understand who Jesus is and what he's done and how they need to trust in Christ and why they need a Savior and Lord to direct their lives and be their, their rescuer from sin. Until they understand that, they can't put their trust in Christ. They can't do that. And so we dedicate them to the Lord in that way. It's a reminder that we each must individually make that choice for ourselves. It's a personal choice. But it's not individualistic. So it's not just me and God and nobody else. I'm born into this world just as you were, and you were part of a family. That family may have been difficult, it may have been rough, maybe you don't like that family, maybe you wish you had a different family, but that was your family. And at the beginning, they took care of you. They tried to nurture you, protect you, provide for you. You were born into a family. In the same way, when we put our trust in Christ, it's not just me and God, you know, by ourselves. I'm part of a family that's sharing his life. Just as we share the life of God, we share the life with each other here on earth. There's a, there's a, a horizontal connection and a vertical connection as well. Look at it this way. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Holy Spirit. And the Son loves the, you know, both the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit loves both the Father and the Son. The Holy Trinity loves each, each, each one of themselves. It's one God bound together by perfect love for each of the persons of the, of the Trinity, the triunity of God. And they're inviting us to enter into that relationship. When we say Jesus loves you, as simple as that sounds, or, or God bless you, or God loves you, or the Spirit help you, we're, we're saying enter into that love that relationship, that connection, and share their life, the life of love, the life of life that they share among themselves. We're invited to have that as our experience as well. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? I know it because the Scripture teaches that God's own presence comes and lives inside of everyone who's put their trust in Jesus Christ.
You say, what do you mean? What I mean is God's spirit comes and lives inside of you. The moment you're born again, the moment you've put your trust in Christ, the thing that makes you born again is that God's own holy, powerful presence comes and lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. You say, I don't feel him. You will. You let him have his way, he'll begin to change you. He'll change you on the inside out, from the inside out. He'll give you a confidence. He'll give you a, a sense of conviction that something's not going right if you're sinning against God so that you can turn away from that sin and turn wholeheartedly to the Lord. He'll give you a sense of, of witness and understanding that you belong to God. And you may have tremendous joy. You may have tremendous peace. You may be thrilled and, and excited and very, very happy but you also may just have a calmness in the midst of all the storms of life. God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and he helps you live a holy life that honors and serves God. You see, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the ultimate way that God shares eternal life with you and with me. And it's the presence of God's Spirit. That's what makes you born again. In a sense, the Spirit of God is like a seed that God has planted into you, the soil of your soul. And you take that seed along with the good truth of God's Word and you start growing as a Christian. You start bearing fruit that glorifies God and honors Him. It's a shared life. This is why Jesus used the analogy in His life the very last night that he shared with his disciples before his arrest and trial and crucifixion. When Jesus was having dinner in the upper room, he used the analogy of, I am the vine and you are, do you remember what he said? You are the, the branches. And they were saying this probably as they were on their way toward the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would pray, not my will, but yours be done, he prayed to his heavenly Father. As they went along the way, they saw clusters of grapes and grapevines along the pathway there, vineyards there. And Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the source of life. You guys are the branches. Abide in me. Stay connected to me. Develop a loving union with me and remain as close to me and aware of me and as conscious of me and as dependent upon me as you possibly can. And my life will flow through you out to others. If you are discouraged today and you say, I can't change, that's not true. Draw close to Christ and his spirit will change you. Let his life flow through you. Open yourself up to it and say, Lord, would you please flow your life? Flush it through me. Flow it through me. Send it through me. Change me. Transform me. Help me stop doing these things that are destructive. Help me let go of this bitterness, this lust, this hatred, this anger, this discouragement, this anxiety. Help me let go of that. And I claim you, Jesus. You are the life giver that I desperately need. It's a shared life, this eternal life that we have. On top of all that, it's not only a shared life, but it's a life that is a satisfying life. Eternal life is not just a shared life, the life of God present in our lives, but it is a satisfying life. 
You see, the presence of God, God has everything he needs. Do you think God is ever lonely? No. Is God ever bored? No. Is God ever, you know, unhappy in any way? Is God miserable or depressed? How you feeling today, God? Oh, I don't know. I just woke up on the wrong side of the universe today. Sorry. Just having a kind of cruddy day. I think I'll send some lots of storms and clouds today. That's what I feel like. And God never has a day like that. He always has perfect peace. He always has perfect joy. He's always content. He's always fulfilled. He's always secure. He's always confident because God is that way. He is complete and self-sufficient because he has eternal life in himself. And when he gives that eternal life to you and to me, we share his life with us and we experience that ourselves. That becomes our life. It's a satisfying life. Think about how Jesus described himself in the Gospel of John. Some of you are familiar with this. Others, this might be new to you. But there are several cases in John's Gospel where Jesus used the phrase, I am, and then he used a metaphor. He used a word picture to compare himself. He said, this is what I'm like. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He said things like that. Two really stand out to me. In John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. In that chapter, John chapter 6, he just fed the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And on top of that, if that weren't enough, he walks on the water as well. But then he has a, a big theological discussion and sermon with a bunch of people who come to him and they're saying, uh, you know, we really enjoyed the last meal you fixed. We're wondering if you can do it again, please. And Jesus challenges them in saying, look, what I've done in this abundance of bread that I've given you and multiplying the bread and the fish, I want you to understand that there's a deeper lesson here. And the deeper lesson is, it's not just that you need something to eat for lunch today at 12. It's that you need me. In a sense, you need to eat me. You need to drink me. You need to trust and rely on me, and I will satisfy your deepest needs. I'll make your life complete. I'll fill your hunger up full. I'll quench your thirst fully. What are you hungry for? What are you thirsty for? What are you longing for? The approval of other people? The pleasure of intimacy, the security of wealth, the honor and recognition at your work or your school. What are you hungry for? To be appreciated, to be noticed. All those things are important needs that need to be met in every life. It's true. but there will be times those won't be satisfied in our lives because that's just the way life is. And it's to us in those moments that Jesus is saying, I want to satisfy that deep soul hunger that you have. That deep thirst that water will never quench, that alcohol will never satisfy, that the recognition and praise of people will never fill you up full. I want to satisfy that hunger. I want to satisfy that thirst. 
if you just would trust in me. He is the bread of life. In John chapter 4, as he's sitting by the well with the woman at the well, this Samaritan woman who's been married, you know, had five different husbands and was living with a sixth man. And as he's talking to her, he offers her living water. He's the source of living water. And she thinks, just like the people in John chapter 6, think he's talking about bread and meals and food and hors d'oeuvres and banquets and all that. She thinks, well, that'd be great if I have living water that never runs out. I don't have to keep coming back to this well and keep drawing water. I'll just have this big cosmic cistern well that I can just have all the water I could possibly ever need to drink and I don't have to work for it anymore. And Jesus says, that's not the water I'm talking about. I'm talking about a water that you're thirsty for in your soul. And if you trust in me, you'll have that living water. He expands on that even more in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, where at this big feast, water's being poured out, and John says, John says that Jesus stands up and boldly claims that he's the source of living water, that if you come to me and drink, I will give you living water and I will make it not only quench your thirst, but you'll be able to share that living water with, order, with others and it'll quench their thirst as well. And John makes a little editorial note as he's reflected about on, upon this all the years of his life, decades later. He says what Jesus was talking about was the Holy Spirit. And he was going to give his own spirit to quench and satisfy the thirst of our souls. Is your life parched and dry? Are you looking and longing and dried up, thinking nobody cares? I'm all by myself. I don't have any peace. The anxiety is just drying up my life. The fear is drying up my life. Jesus wants to give you living water to satisfy your thirst. You see, these two examples, the, the living water Jesus offers, the bread of life that he offers, it's a reminder that eternal life is a satisfying life. It's not about rules and regulations. That's why John says in 1 John chapter 5, we keep his commandments. His, his commandments are not a burden because the Spirit is there to help us do what God calls us to do. And it's not about rule keeping. And it's not about trying to please God and earn his favor somehow. You can't. But God wants to give life that is overflowing and satisfying, like a meal that never ends, like a drink that always satisfies. He wants to give us life with purpose and meaning. Are you looking for safety? Jesus wants to give you true security. Are you looking for prosperity? Maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't, but what you really need is his peace, and he'll give you that. Are you looking for health? If I just had health, I'd be happy. And Jesus is saying, no, I wanna give you myself the happiness and joy you're truly looking for. Maybe your health will fall apart, but you've got me. Are you looking for success? Well, maybe you won't have success. Maybe your life will be a failure in the eyes of people. But you can have security and you can have satisfaction that comes from knowing Christ and being loved by him. Everything you're longing for, everything you're looking for, Jesus wants to satisfy and give you with the gift of his eternal life. But beyond all of that, 
beyond this idea that eternal life is life without regrets, that it's a shared life, it's a life that truly satisfies. This is the best life. Truly, this is the best life. This is the superior kind of life. Not just shared and not just satisfying, but it's a superior kind of life. And I don't say that to say that, oh, I'm better than everybody else, or we Christians are, or, you know, somehow to be prideful or arrogant in some way. No, it's a gift. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. You know, I'm a nobody that God noticed. I'm a low life that God lifted up. I'm a sinner that God saved by his grace and made his child. And there's nothing to boast about that. It's not because of me nor can you boast about it either. It's a gift, but it is the superior way of life. He says, verses four and five, everyone who has been born of God, everybody who has this shared life with Jesus, this eternal life that comes to the children of God, everyone who has this, it says, has overcome the world. They are victorious over the world. And the key to this victory is our faith, not faith in ourselves or faith in our abilities, not faith in our power or wealth, our country and military might, not in faith in any of those things at all, but faith in Jesus Christ, relying on him. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? That's where I think we can say that the, the, the life the eternal life that God wants to give us is a life that's superior to everything and anything that the world offers. It gives a victory over this world. There is true life change because of eternal life that we get from Christ. When we believe in Jesus, he gives us the victory over this world. We don't have to be dragged down by the despair of this world. We don't have to be dragged down by the temptations of this world. We don't have to be overcome by the anxieties and fears of this world. We don't have to chase the values, the priorities of this culture, the selfishness of our culture. We don't have to go that way. Instead, we can stand up for what's right and true and experience the life that God gives to us in his son, and that gives us a victory over this world. The fact that he uses the word victory there and talks about overcoming, it's a reminder that there's a great hostility between the truth of Jesus and his family and his kingdom and his church and this world that we live in. The world is not our ally. It's not helping us become more like Christ. If anything, the world, the people of the culture that we live in are constantly leading us away from Christ. And until we are satisfied by Jesus, until we understand that we share his life, we will act just like this culture and there will be no difference between us and them and they'll never come to Christ because they won't see any reason to. But if we truly are satisfied by Jesus, and we're satisfied with him and we share his life. We allow the spirit of God to fill us and empower us and we keep in step with him. As that happens, people will see that there truly is a better way to live. And that better way to live is to trust in Christ. We saw that in the video, the true story of the young Korean man who met Pastor Han. And Pastor Han was willing to sell his mushrooms and not cheat him 
not demand payment for it. And that was remarkable to that young man. And as he talked, he began to understand that it was because Pastor Han was a Christian. And that's why he chose himself then. Seeing the beauty of Jesus, the satisfaction Pastor Han had in Jesus, he was willing to put his trust in Christ and follow him. The bottom line is this. Without eternal life, we're dead. Without eternal life, we're dead. That's what our life is like. Now, your heart may be beating for many more years. I hope it is. I hope it does. Your brain waves are working. I hope those are all normal and clear and settled and all of that. I hope you have many happy relationships for all the rest of your life. But without eternal life, you're dead, and so am I. That's what our lives are like. They're empty, they're purposeless, they're dry, they're barren, they're parched, they're without satisfaction, without Jesus and his eternal life. Without eternal life, we're dead. And the only way we can receive eternal life and have a life of meaning and purpose and value is to trust in Christ and rely on him. I've come that they might have life, Jesus says, and have it more abundantly. Do you have that eternal life? Are you a member of God's family? Are you satisfied with Jesus? I hope you are. I'd be happy to pray with you after the service if you have any questions about this. But God bless you. Let's, let's pray right now as we close our service. Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for your loving kindness. I thank you for your work in our midst. I thank you for this great gift of eternal life that you've given to us. And I pray that, Lord, you'd help us to see that we have this gift of eternal life and it's life that fully satisfies in Christ. Thank you. Thank you that it's not something that we have to work for, but we can share your life. Thank you that it's something that it's better than anything that we will ever find anywhere else in this world. So, Father, instead of trying to follow the world, help us follow Christ and abide in him. Remain close to him. And I thank you that when we do that, his life truly does bear fruit in abundance in us. I ask you to bless us and stir us up that we would just seek to experience this life to the fullest by surrendering our lives to Christ. And we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.